0: Please, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter two, uh, verses one uh, through three says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. As John said, we'll be continuing our series in First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, vacation was great, but I truly miss being here at Palace Chapel uh, on Sunday. And it's good to be back and uh, heard the message that Phil... Uh, brought last week and want to kind of continue that theme Uh, in first Peter chapter 2 if you look at the original text uh, there are no uh, chapters or verses in the the original text Um, that happened years and years later and so a lot of times we can come to God's word and we can read God's word and we get to chapter 2 and don't understand how it's directly related to what we just read and so you'll see that in your Bible you may have the word so there you may have the word therefore there but therefore or so is connecting us back to verses 22 through 25 that P- Phil taught on last week. What he taught on last week listening to the message was about this idea of brotherly love. And if you've been with us through this journey in 1st Peter you know that Peter has been walking us through what it looks like for that's the title of the the series is God's grace will always be over our disgrace. God's grace covers our disgrace and so we've looked at that here in the very first chapter and chapter one began with our own personal holiness right he tells us be holy for God is holy and so he's talking about our holiness individually and then last week what Phil did was show us that God isn't just talking about our individual holiness but he's also talking about our holiness as a corporate body as believers in Christ we make up the church and because we make up the church, there has to be holiness, not just individually, but there has to be holiness corporately. And that starts with brotherly love or brotherly affection, that we need to love one another, that we need to have uh, Philadelphia love, that there is a love between us that won't separate us. And so here in chapter two, he's going to tell us what it looks like to love each other. How do we do that thing that he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 through 25. Remember he said this, um, having purified your souls, that's the individual part, by your obedience to the truth, to the calling that he talked about in verse 1, 2, and 3, that God called us and redeemed us because we've been obedient in that call. There's a holiness in that obedience. He says that you are to, to respond to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart so he takes it from the individually now he takes it corporately and now he's going to say to us this is what it looks like how do we love each other and so he comes right out of the gate we'll look at three things this morning we'll look at uh the first uh and first the first verse we'll look at putting away things and the second verse we're going to look at longing for things and then the last one will be taste and see. And so we'll cover uh, three verses. Those are the three things. We'll put away things in our lives. We'll long for things in our lives. And we'll taste and see some things in our life. And so the very first thing that we see in verse 1 is this. Therefore, connects us back to the previous passage, put away. And so highlight that in your Bible. He's going to tell us if you're to love one another, you have to do this to love one another. You have to put things away. That word put away in the Greek has to do with discarding things. It's, it's the idea of, that when you and I have dirty clothes, we discard them, we get rid of them, we, they're soiled. The, the, the best way to say it is this. Uh, when I change Cedar's diaper, I want to put it away. I don't mean put it away in the drawer. I mean put it away, put it out of the house. Uh, I, I don't even want it in the trash can in the kitchen. Because if I have it in the trash can in the kitchen, what happens? It permeates the whole kitchen. That happened to me yesterday. I I was like walking around the house. I'm like, either I stepped in something or he smeared it on me or something. I had to put it away. I had to get up, put it in the trash can outside. And so what Peter is telling us, hey, with these things, there's five things that he tells us to put put away. Uh, Another translation says this. The NIV says this. To rid yourselves of these things. See, a lot of times as believers, we don't put them away. We don't get rid of them. We put them to the side. But we don't rid ourselves of these things. How come? Because there's a comfort in us of these five things. And so Peter's saying, if you really want to love one another, you have to rid yourselves of these things. And here's the five things that he says to rid yourself of. The first one, he says, and put away all malice. He's going to use the word all three times in this one verse. Put away all malice. And now the, four, the he's going to tell us after malice can just be directly, uh, they're, they're birthed out of malice, pretty much. And so he says, hey, get rid of, put away all malice. And so what does the word malice mean? What is malice? In the Greek, it means this. It means to desire to hurt someone. And so he's saying to us in First Peter chapter 1, you are to have brotherly love, but you cannot have brotherly love if you have any malice towards anyone else. You see, these five things are the five things that will, will devastate a church. These five things are what has historically called division in the church or even church separation. And so Peter says, if you really want to love people, you first have to rid yourselves of all malice. And so for me this morning, for you this morning, is there anyone in my midst, in our church, that I have a desire to hurt? Because if I have a desire to hurt someone, then I can't have brotherly love. He says, get rid of all malice. The second thing he says to do is this. It's deceit. It says put away all malice and all deceit. All deceit uh, in the Greek is this word. The word means to bait or a fish hook. That's what the word means. If you bait somebody, if you put bait on a hook, the hope is to deceive them in thinking it's something that it's not. And so what Peter is saying, hey, don't deceive people. Don't be deceptive to people. This is what it looks like for us. We call them white lies, or half-truths. The idea is this, that uh, someone will ask you a question, you'll give them the answer, and it's the the right answer, it's just not the truthful answer. Uh, Here's how it looks. Uh, I was going to say I've never done this, but I can't say never. Uh, I I just don't want to use that word. Uh, It's as if when Jenny would call me, if, if she's baking something in the oven, and she calls me and says, hey, uh, she did this yesterday, I, this is, I really didn't remember, but it'd be like, I remember this, she asked me yesterday, hey, did you feed the dogs? Well, in that moment, I could have said yes, that would have been deception, or if she's baking something, she calls me, hey, hey, did you remember to take such and such out the oven? And then all of a sudden, I pretend like the phone has static and uh, uh, hit the end button on the phone, the phone drops, and I take it out of the oven and put it on top of the oven, and then she calls back and says, hey, did you remember to take it out of the oven? Yeah, I took it out of the oven. <laughs> right, that, that's, that's, that's right, the right answer. It's just not very truthful. Like, yes, it, the, the stuff is no longer in the oven. It's up on top of the oven, but she, that's not the question she was really asking me, and I knew that. And I wonder how often that happens in the church, that someone comes to us asking for an answer, and we know what they're really asking, and we deceive them. We bait them into, or put bait on a fish hook to let them think that we're doing something that we're really not doing. We deceive people. He said, so put away all malice, all deception, and then he says this, put away hypocrisy. Hypocrisy simply means this, spiritual insincerity. Uh, The word hypocrisy, the word hypocrite, comes from the idea, we covered this in our our last uh, series, hypocrisy simply means, uh, the word, the Greek word means, uh, uh, actor wearing a mask. And so what he's saying is, hey, don't be something that you're not. Don't come into church with hypocrisy. Don't come into church wearing a mask. Let us be sincere. Another illustration of this is uh, back then they would go to and have integrity. They would have integrity of pots in, uh, in the marketplace. And so they would ask, is that, uh, does that pot have integrity? And what it meant was, hey, are there any cracks in that pot that you've covered up with clay and then painted over? Right. So what they would do is if they the pot, the, the the potter would make a pot or whatever, a vase or a plate, and then it would come out of the fire and they would see that there were cracks in it. They would take that pot or the piece of uh, pottery and they'd fill it in with clay and then they'd fill the clay in and they'd paint over top of it so that it looked like it was together. It looked like it had integrity. And so if the merchant would then come and the buyer would say to the merchant, hey, is this pot, does it have integrity? integrity and the the potter or the merchant would say yes and then the buyer would say well let me put this out into the sunlight to see if what you're saying is true you see by putting it in the sunlight the sun would what melt the 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 wax and they would come out a few hours later and they'd see hey that pot that you said had integrity has no integrity and so for us as individuals in the church Are there places in our lives that we say we've overcome through the blood of Christ, but we've only covered them up? We've only put a mask on them. You you see, what we talked about a few weeks ago, there will be trials and there will be tests in our lives, and those tests are to show our integrity, to show where are the places in our lives that are just covered in with wax. And he's saying to us, Peter says, if you're going to love one another, you're going to have love for the church we must go through the fire to see where our integrity really is. He's saying to us, get rid of all the hypocrisy in our lives. What we covered in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Is that true for us here at Powell's Chapel? As a corporate body, is there any hypocrisy in our midst? So those are the first three. The second two are this. He says, And envy. The word envy is an attitude of resentment to others' prosperity. It's the best definition I saw for envy. That I have resentment to someone else's blessing. And so when I have resentment to someone else's blessing, I'll either go to the next word that he says, I'll go to slander to knock down that person who's been blessed by the Lord or I'll envy them rather than having contentment for what God has given me. I'll envy what I don't have, and I'll envy what God has given to them, which will lead me back to hypocrisy, deceit, and malice. See, if I have envy in my life, then I'm also going to have malice, deceit, and hypocrisy. Because I'm going I'm to want and desire what you have, and I'll do whatever I can do to get what you have. Now, that's the ultimate how that plays out ultimately is murder. Right? I mean, you watch the news. People are killing people out of envy. So they think, well, I want to break into someone's house. I'm going to steal their stuff, and it ends up in murder. And the murder is, hey, I just wanted their TV. You can take it farther than that. People get murdered over uh, adulterous affairs. And it all is birthed out of malice. And so Peter's saying to us, rid of this of these things, the last one he says to this, I think this is, for us, the more cunning, baffling, and powerful one of the five, slander. Right? Slander is simply the def- defamation of one's character. Here's how it plays out in the church. We, we have prayer request for people but we're really just attacking someone's character and we're disguising it or being deceptive in praying for them we want the gossip to get out but we'll cover it with prayer hey did you hear about so and so we need to pray for them uh, however that plays out we'll slander somebody we'll attack their character and label it as prayer oh we need to pray for him Oh, maybe he'll change this time. Maybe we give him another chance. And so slander can take a lot of different forms. I think for me, reading the text, I think that's the most cunning one in the church. That will leave meetings and begin to slander other people that were in the meeting. It's gossip. But the church has become brilliant at gossip and slander. If we won't just come out, right out, and attack someone's character, God forbid we tell the truth. We'll do it in deceptive, cunning, baffling ways. Here's what one writer says about these five sins. These five sins aren't the encompassing of all sins. They they just are five things that Peter says, you want to know what will destroy the community of a church? These five things will destroy community. Faster than anything else. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Wayne Gruden says this All these sins aim at harming other people. Whereas love seeks the good of others. So if I have these five sins in my life ongoing, if we as a church, if our church is classified to be said about these five things, then we're really just out to harm one another. Or do we have true brotherly affection? Because true love, brotherly affection, what Wayne Grudem says, is to seek the good of others. Do I really have love for the person sitting next to me, behind me, in front of me? Because if I really have love for them, then I'll do whatever I can to prop them up for their good. Or if I have malice, deceit, hypocrisy, or envy, or slander, um, all those things are going to be to destroy the person which will ultimately destroy the church. You see, churches don't split over carpet. Churches don't split over budgets. Churches don't split over, you fill in the blank, church splits over malice, deceitfulness, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Because the carpet or the budget or whatever, fill in the blank, becomes the good of the church rather than the gospel of the church. And so Peter is saying to us, hey, if you want to be what God's going to tell us in, in a few verses, if you really are the royal priesthood, then your lives have to be, uh, put away the things in your life, the, all the malice, all the deceit, all the hypocrisy, all the envy, and all the slander, and take on true brotherly love. Is our church, Paul's Chapel, uh, consistently, loving one another if it isn't we must put those things away that will bring harm to the body the next thing that he says is to long for something he comes out of the gate he says like newborn infants long for highlight that in your bible long for pure spiritual milk that it may grow up into salvation so you maybe have read throughout the bible there's different authors that talk about craving and longing for milk that we as believers are to crave milk and most of those places in the new testament have to do with infant believers new believers new converts new converts are to have this longing for spiritual milk that's not who peter's talking about here in this text he is not talking about immature believers or infant believers though they are going to be encompassed in who he's talking about What he is saying to us in this passage is more about our neediness than it is where we are in our conversion or our salvation. He's saying to us, hey, be like pure babies. Be like newborn babies that crave milk. And this is the the picture. Uh, Tennyson and Cedar, when they were born, maybe for you when you had children, there's that moment that, that, that there's the cry of hurt, there's the cry of a wet diaper, and there's the cry of hunger. They they and and to uh, a non-parent that all the cries sound the same, but to the parent, the parent knows what the cry sounds like, and so a baby will have this craving for food, and so it will do whatever it can to get the attention of the the caregiver to get fed. And and what Peter's saying to us, we have to have that same craving. You, you know when Tennyson and Cedar were both born they would wake up in the middle of the night with this uh this just this scream of like bloody murder it was like oh it's time for time to feed them and they would continue to have that craving for food and then uh throughout their lives and it's no longer true today and maybe if you remember this i'll remember the first time we slept through the night as peaceful as it was there was that one moment I sprang out of bed and thought, oh, something's wrong. Like I remember jumping up and like going over to the crib when Tennyson was an infant and like trying to figure out if she was still breathing, like put my finger near her nose, tried to like touch her without her waking up because if she woke up, then I wouldn't go back to sleep. You you know the drill. And so for us, what, what Paul was saying to us is, are we as needy as newborn infants? You see, an infant, you don't have to tell an infant that they need food to survive, right? They just inherently know they need food to live. And what's happened to us here in the church? How far have we gone away from that neediness of God? Do we really long for? The word long for is a strong desire for. And what is Peter saying to us here? He says, like newborn babies long for, what are we to long for? And he gives us two words, pure, spiritual, milk. The pure and the spiritual of the milk. The milk, you can circle that in your Bibles, has everything to do with God's word. Do we long for God's word? You see the word pure means unadulterated or un contaminated do we have a desire for uncontaminated gospel truth or the word of god you see back in jesus's day in peter's day what they would do is if they had wine or milk or uh, o- o- olive oil or any of those things what they would do is they would contaminate the product they would add to the product remember the story where jesus goes and turns water into wine and what do they come and say to jesus hey, they say to the master, hey, you, you've waited to use the best last. Because what they would do is they would fill the buckets of, of, of wine up and put in more water so that the, the longevity of the wine would last. And so it wasn't pure wine anymore or it wasn't pure olive oil or it wasn't pure milk anymore. They contaminated, they diluted it so that there would be more product. And so what... Peter is saying to us is, hey, do we have a craving for pure milk, or do we have a craving for diluted milk? You can turn on the radio and get diluted gospel truth, and I think to myself, how many of us in the church have become satisfied with diluted water or diluted truth? We have become, as a nation, satisfied with diluted water. Look at what's happened in this year alone. You see, if we as a nation weren't satisfied, uh, didn't become satisfied with diluted milk, we would never have gay marriage. Because God's Word is very clear on that. But what happened? It got diluted. The truth of the Gospel got diluted. And in the dilutedness of our intake, we've become accustomed to it. that can't be really what God's Word says. That's not really what it says. And I think to myself, and I hope you think to yourself, how deluded in my life have the Scriptures become? Like in that, am I listening to everyone else tell me what the Gospel says, or am I listening to God and God alone tell me what the Gospel says? it's this idea uh not too long ago there was this documentary that came out called supersize me you ever see that documentary supersize me i guess i'm the only one well anyway this filmmaker this independent filmmaker decided hey for next 30 days all i'm gonna do is eat mcdonald's i mean i could have told him that was gonna be a bad idea so for the next 30 days he does this A personal journey of what his body becomes like after only eating McDonald's. Well, on the outside, the man doesn't look any different. He looks healthier. But when they began to do internal studies of his body, his body was beginning to deteriorate. And I thought to myself, about that documentary, how true is that for us here at the church? That we look like we have it all going on internally, but internally we're dying because we diluted the scriptures. Peter says to us, no, no, you have to have a strong desire for the pure spiritual milk. Spiritual just simply means that the things, the truths of who God is. So what is your longing? What is my longing this morning? Am I like the guy that did supersize me and look externally like I'm healthy, but internally I'm dying spiritually? You see, if I were to show a picture of a malnourished child, all of us, would that would grab all of our attention. Like, man, gosh. A- anyone ever seen an emaciated person? Like, they're just, like, you, it's, like, hard to look at. I wonder how true that is for us at the church. How we look like a child that hasn't been fed for months. And months, and months, and years, and years, and years, and years. Church, are we emaciated? Are we malnourished? Because we no longer long for the truths of God. You see, the truth is, if all is for you, is that you come for 30, 35 minutes on a Sunday morning, you are malnourished. If all that you do is for... 52 weeks, and that's not, even, that's not even really accurate because most of us don't, we'll miss Sunday, so we'll say about 30, 40 some weeks, that 40 weeks, 40 days of the year, 365 days, you eat one meal for 30 minutes. You will die. But Satan has so deceived us by saying, hey, that's all you need. Now, that's all you need. Man, if you just have one good meal. Hopefully I'm feeding you a good meal from the preaching and teaching of God's Word. But if that's all you have, that's not enough. If this is all the intake of God's Word that is being put into your spiritual body, you are dying. Not you might die, not you will die. You are currently in the state of death. And so Peter says to us, if we're going to love other people, we have to have a love for ourselves and we have to nourish ourselves and we have to have a longing for pure spiritual milk. And so how that plays out here is this. Man, take what I say and go study it on your own. Like, take what I say and, man, fight with the Lord about it. Wrestle with the Lord about it. Get into your own quiet times. Don't just take what I say because I say it. Like, go wrestle with the truths of God for your own. Long for pure spiritual milk. There are people out there. I'll just say it. I'm probably going to get in trouble. There are people out there that claim to be believers and teach the truths of God, and they are not the truths of God. There's a dude with a mullet in Texas. He does not speak the truths of God. And so even the people that you're listening to on the radio, take everything that everyone says. Be like the Bereans who who took God, Paul, and said, now Paul, Paul was the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. And they said to Paul, Paul, is that really the truth of God? And they hungered for pure spiritual milk. They went back to their homes and studied and studied and studied God's Word. You don't have to be a preacher or a pastor to study God's Word. Be a believer and study God's Word. Long for pure spiritual milk. This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 4, 4. Remember, he's in the wilderness. He's been tempted by Satan. And he says to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the mouth of God. Paul tells us all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. These are the very words of God. We cannot live on bread alone. We have to live on the word of God. Do we long for? And then he tells us in the second half of the verse, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it, by what? The longing of the spirit, the the milk of the scriptures, that you may grow up into salvation. That he's not talking about our, 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 our uh, conversion. He's talking about our sanctification. The ongoing process of becoming more and more and more like Christ. You see, when I get into God's Word, and God's Word begins to bring conviction, and conviction brings repentance, and repentance brings on sanctification. But we need God's Word to bring, compi- uh, to bring conviction that leads us to repentance, that leads us to sanctification. Sanctification isn't going to happen on its own. There is a process that God allows us to be in relationship with him that brings on sanctification. goes back to what he says, be holy for I am holy. The way to holiness is through the scriptures. And so for us, do we long for that? And then he says this. This is how all this will be true for us. It's in verse 3. It's taste and see. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, flip over to Psalms chapter 34. This is a direct cross-reference that Peter is using from Psalms 34. I don't have time this morning to teach through all these verses. But this is in essence. What Peter is saying to us. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul. Makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh magnify the Lord with me. And let us. Exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He longed for the Lord, is what the psalmist says. I longed for the Lord. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who looked at him, and all their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them verse 8 oh taste and see that the lord is good have you this morning tasted and seen that the lord is good in your walk with god would you be able to say the same way that the psalmist said in the same way that peter said oh taste and see the goodness of the lord can you say that? Because if you can say that, then you'll have this longing for the Word. You see, when you taste and see the goodness of God, the activity of God in your life, through the Scriptures, what does it do? It gives you a longing to go after it more. But if you're sitting here and you have no longing for God and God's Word, I would say to you this morning, then you may not have ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You you see... What the, what the writers are both saying is this. You see, you can go get a good McDonald's cheeseburger or you can go get a real good Five Guys cheeseburger. Right? Because if I really have tasted and I've really seen something that's good, I want to go get it more and more and more. I have a true craving for it, like Miss Maryland's goodness bars. See, those things are Good because I've tasted and I've seen them and I want more of them but I wonder is that not true for us here at the church you see I've been thinking about the stories that God has been allowing us to see over the last few months from when it's with, with Casey and Zach and, and Little Maverick we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good with, with Miss Patty we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good with, with all that Mike is going through, we're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You see, these, all these things that God has been putting at the table for us to eat aren't by uh, happenstance. They're deliberately given to us by God, not that we'd get the glory, but we would say, oh man, the goodness of God. Because when God is good and God is great and we've tasted it, we have a craving for it, amen? And so I asked the church this morning, have you tasted and seen that God is good? You see, throughout the, the word of God, he tells us over and over, oh, test me. God says, test me. Are we testing God for his greatness, his kindness, and his goodness? Are we testing God for those things? Let's flip back to First Peter, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In closing, I want to read this one quote by Edmund Clowney. He says, "This we cannot detach from the Word. We cannot detach the Word from the Lord. And like the scribes and the Pharisees, profess to cling to the Scriptures." while we're refusing the Lord. It's what he tells us in John 5. He he says, Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees, hey, you you search the Scriptures, uh, but you you don't see me in the Scriptures. They cling to the Scriptures while refusing the Lord. On the other hand, neither can we profess obedience to the Lord while rejecting His Word. To separate a living Lord from a dead book or a divine Lord... From a merely human book is to re- reject the gospel altogether. He, so, for us this morning, do we just say we love the Lord and reject the reading of God's word? Or are we like this Pharisees who love the word of God but reject the Lord? What this man is saying, what the gospel is saying, hey, they have to go hand in hand. You have to have a love for the Lord and a love for the scriptures. And is that true for us here at Powell's Chapel? Is that true for me? not just us corporately but for me individually for you individually do you love god and do you love his word and they are in both hands or would you just say i love the lord man but when's the last time you spent time with the lord and his word oh man like months try that on your wife let me know how that goes over for you oh yeah yeah i love jenny when's the last time you spoke to her sorry man it's been like six seven months I don't think that's going to go over well in my marriage. But we do that with our walk with the Lord. Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. What's the last time you spent 15 minutes with Him? Man, I don't know. That's not a good sign. And I would say to you, then you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You see, this morning we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And part of taking uh, the Lord's Supper for us is this, that we're saying back to God, oh, I've tasted and I've seen that you're good. You see, the Lord's Supper is all about a reminder of what He has done for us. That is what we have the Lord's Supper for. And so when we come to this table this morning, we come to the Lord's Supper, it's to remind us of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave His life for us and poured out His blood for us. And so as you take the lord's supper this morning would you say oh i've tasted and i've seen the goodness of god this morning my prayer is that the lord's supper for not for us is never a habit it's not just something that we do my prayer for us when we come on sunday morning and shout out to god through worship through singing it's not just something we've always done and that you come and you hear the word of god that it's not just something oh that's what we do on sunday but that you would come with the expectation every Sunday morning, oh, I want to taste and see that God is good. That's that's what we do this for. That's the reason we come and we gather and worship so that when we leave here, we would say, oh, I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God this morning. Is that true for us? As we come to the Lord's Supper, is that true for us? Let me pray. God, I pray for us Here at Powell's Chapel, I pray for us individually that make up Powell's Chapel. That we have tasted and seen your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. Just over these last several months, God, story after story that you've allowed us to see. That's your goodness, God. That's your kindness. That's your mercy. None of these things that have happened, God, and that are happening, could be explained by humans. They just can't be. They're all miracles. And God, we do. We cry out for Mike and Michelle and we pray for a miracle there. Not just simply modern medicine, but we pray, God, that we, through this process, would say at the end of it, oh, man, it was hard. And it was scary. But oh, we've seen and we've tasted the goodness of God. You're doing great things here, God. Even two weeks ago, St. Alan, a man that was far from you, surrender his will and his life to you. That's tasting the goodness and the gratefulness and the kindness of you, God. And so even this morning as we come to the Lord's Supper, as believers, God, if all that we can say is, oh God, you've called me from dark to light and i place my hope and faith and trust in you. I was once lost from you. I was once Sick from you, and you came to seek and save that which was lost. And we've been found, God. We've tasted and we've seen the goodness of God. If that's all it is in our life, all of us in the room as believers have seen and tasted your goodness. I pray that we'd rejoice in that. We'd be encouraged in that. Continue to lead us and guide us. I pray. Amen. At this time,